Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Lord's house tonight as we meet together to study the word. Does everyone have a prayer sheet slash um, study sheet? I put them all on one page tonight. I may not always be able to do that, but I thought I would save paper tonight. So uh, just a little bit of space there for you to take notes in the verses if you want to do that. But tonight we're looking at the first three verses together of Revelation 1 which is uh, the prologue or the introduction to the book. And uh, before we launch into that, let's just take a moment and pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have tonight to open the pages of your word and to read them. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would tonight uh, hear with ears that are open, hearts that are receptive. And Father, may we uh, receive the blessing that you have offered to those who hear and obey the words of this book. And so, Father, may we listen and put it into practice in our lives, and may we come to know and worship the Lord Jesus Christ uh, because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're looking at the first three verses of the book of Revelation, and most of the commentaries kind of set off verses one through three as kind of an introduction or prologue. They use some form of that word, prologue, introduction, forward. So this is kind of the the very opening of the book. And uh, in Revelation 1 and verse 1, we have John recording these words for us. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And probably uh, one of the key words of this verse, which is also a key verse in the whole book, is the word revelation. And this is, uh, the Greek word here is apocalypsis, which is where we in English get our word apocalypse. Now, that word in its English usage, we've kind of imported that Greek word and kind of made it our own idea now. So when you hear the word apocalypse, usually we think of some kind of end time scenario or end of the world scenario, you know, some climactic battle of Armageddon type thing. That's what we think of when we think of an apocalypse. Um, you know, a huge meteor crashing to the earth and killing everybody. You know, that's that's kind of what we think of with the word apocalypse. But really the, the Greek idea of apocalypsis is simply to make known, to reveal, which is why it's translated revelation. So the idea is to reveal something, to make something known, uh, to in a sense, pull back the curtain on that which was hidden, but now is able to be seen. So uh, in in this book, we're going to see some elements of God's purpose, his plan. They're going to be unveiled for us, that he's going to show us. There are some elements of the heavenly throne room, scenes from heaven, that the curtain is pulled back and we're able to see some things that God reveals here. And so the idea of this word is simply to make known, to disclose something. Uh, 
And if you notice in this verse, it says that it is from Jesus Christ. I made reference to this uh, before in our kind of introductory lessons that what we have here is uh, it's kind of ambiguous, meaning it can go one way or the other with the meaning in Greek. Really what we have is revelation, Jesus Christ. And Greek does some things that English can't do. And so when Greek has different cases for their nouns, and so they'll have uh, a, a noun in this case, and if it's in that case, we know it's the subject of the sentence. If it's in this case, then we know it's most likely the object of the sentence. If it's in this case, then it, it has some kind of relationship to the noun that came before it. That's what this is right here. It's revelation. That's kind of the main noun. But then there, Jesus Christ has some relation to this revelation. We translate it often kind of a generic of. So a lot, most translations just translate it the revelation of Jesus Christ, which what does that mean? And it it's, does it mean that this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which the NIV kind of takes that, makes it more specific with that translation. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. He's the one making it known. Or is the revelation about Jesus Christ? So it is, uh, the revelation is about him. You really could go either way with the words here. I think probably the primary sense is how the NIV has it here. Because in verse 1, really what we have is a chain of, of revelation. Starting with God, to Jesus, to the angel, to John, to us. And so given that kind of chain of, of revelation, I think it's probably right that they translate it here from. This is a revelation. It's a, it's a revealing, a disclosing to John from Jesus Christ. But it is also true that as we read through the book, a lot of it is going to be about him. So he still is the centerpiece of the content of much of what is to follow. I mentioned a moment ago the, um, the chain of, of revelation, and I'm going to attempt to do this. I don't know if you all can see this or not, but essentially we have God, okay? And then... One way of, of seeing it is we have Jesus, but it's also made known to an angel and then ultimately to John, but then from John to us. And so it is, it is ultimately from God given to Jesus, but it also says that he made it known to John by way of or through an angel. An angel is essentially a messenger. So the idea of a revelation from or through a messenger, John is the recipient of that heavenly revelation. He receives it, but then he records it. He writes it down and he sends it on to other of God's servants. And so that is kind of the idea of what we see here in Revelation 1.1 is God gave this revelation to Jesus to show his servants, that's us. I mean, 
originally it would have been John's first readers in the seven churches of Asia, Ephesus, Thyatira, Smyrna, etc. But ultimately, we all have an opportunity to read it and learn from this book. And so we are servants of God, and it is to show us what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Uh, This idea of an angel or this picture, we're going to find it all over Revelation. That is one of the characteristics of apocalyptic type literature. So as you read the Bible, probably the two books that are the most apocalyptic in nature are Daniel and Revelation. There are some of the other prophets, say Isaiah or especially Ezekiel, that have some apocalyptic elements in it. But the two that are most heavily share some similarities with apocalyptic literature are Daniel and Revelation. And this idea of an angelic mediator is a key component of most apocalyptic literature. And so it is a message, a revelation, a a, a message from God, but it's given by way of an intermediary messenger, an angel to a human recipient. In this case, John the Apostle. Probably the, one of the things that is most debated in verse 1 is these words right here. What must soon take place. I mentioned last week there are different viewpoints on Revelation. You've got the preterist perspective, the historicist perspective, the futurist perspective, the idealist perspective. Pretty much everything I've said so far in Revelation 1.1, all those different perspectives would agree with. There's not really a whole lot of controversy here in verse 1. But there is a little bit when you get to this statement of what must soon take place. Because that brings in, okay, when? That's the question that everybody wants to ask and have answered when they read Revelation, right? When? What does all this mean? But even then, if I understand it, when is all this going to happen? We, we, we want to know when. How is this going to unfold? Well, here's where these different views kind of diverge on this concept of what must soon take place. The futurist has to understand it as mostly off in the distance, which presents a problem because if it's 2,000 years later or more, then what does soon even mean, right? So that presents a problem for the futurist position. Um, One way that they've handled that is that they take the possibility that the word soon can mean just quick, like in quick succession. In other words, once it starts, then all these events start happening and unfolding and they're all compact and they happen in a quick succession. But the starting of them, the, when they're all going to unfold, is still off in the future. Sometime we don't know when. But the general way that this word is usually used, though, is not in that sense, but in the sense of something, something is about to happen relatively soon. So that presents a problem for the futurist view. Um, I understand, but it also presents a problem for those that 
take it in a purely preterist sense because some of the things that Revelation talks about clearly haven't happened yet. So Jesus hasn't come back yet. Uh, The new heavens and the new earth haven't happened yet. The new Jerusalem hasn't come down from heaven yet. So how, how, how do we do that then? So the preterist is happy to say a lot of revelation was fulfilled very soon to John's time. But what about those other elements that aren't? So I don't know if this is legitimate or not, but I think it is. But I take kind of a, a hybrid view of this word. And I think that when this verse means soon, as in it's about to happen, not very far off in the future, I think it means exactly that. And I think a lot of what John is talking about are things that are about to happen to Christians in the first century. So the, the empire of Rome and the persecution that is about to come, I think a lot of that is imminent. I mean, it is right around the corner. Uh, John himself is on the island of Patmos. Why? because he's being persecuted. He's there because he's being exiled. When we get to the seven letters to the seven different churches in Revelation 2 and 3, John will mention the name of someone who had already died for their faith as a martyr. So this is not, you know, pie in the sky, off in the distance stuff. A lot of what John is writing is happening now and is right around the corner. So when I... When he says soon, I think it means soon. That a lot of this is very, very imminent. But like a lot of the Old Testament prophetic literature, there is, let me see if I can draw this to kind of give us a perspective. But what we have is, uh, don't make fun of my drawing skills here. There's There's our prophet, okay? Here's our prophet, and he is receiving revelation from God. Okay. God is revealing this to him, either just speaking it to him, saying an angel to him by way of a vision. Somehow God is revealing his word to the prophet. And so the prophet is able to receive this revelation and he's kind of looking off in the distance and he sees this mountain, which is kind of a fulfillment of, this is an event. Okay. This is something that he describes in his prophecy. But then You know, later on, from his vantage point, he sees another mountain off in the distance. That's another event. Okay. This this gap right here might only be a few years. Might be a short time. This gap right here might be 2,000 years. But from his perspective, he cannot see that, that gap from AD 95 to... 2022, you know, if Jesus were to come back today. So he, he does not see all of that, how all those events line up in terms of on a calendar. He sees the events and how they unfold and he sees events, but he sees them more as pictures. He sees them in pictures and he sees these visions, but he doesn't see, he doesn't see them on a timeline, if that makes sense. And so he doesn't see them in a strict chronological way with a calendar. So he can't, he can't know this is this, this one right here is very near, 
but this one right here is distant. So I take Revelation as including both of these things. So I think a lot of what Revelation is talking about, especially in the earlier chapters, is stuff that is right around the corner to John's time. But then ultimately, when he starts talking about the return of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God and uh, the new heavens and the new earth coming, that's obviously hasn't happened yet. That's off in the future, even from our time. So that's how I understand the sense of soon. So many of these things are just right around the corner, but there may be some that are pushed off into the distance where he can't see that. Um, one of the things that I think is, is good to do as you're reading the scriptures, especially if you really, if you're not just reading them, like reading through the Bible in a year, but if you're trying to settle down and really understand a passage of scripture, use a Bible that has cross-references. You know what I mean by that? Like uh, a Bible that has a lot of times you're going to have, you know, words on the page like this. And then down the middle, you've got these cross-references that are footnoted with little letters or little numbers. As you're reading along in here, you see a little footnote letter or a little footnote number that corresponds to something over here. So you look that up and you go back to somewhere else in scripture and you get a, a kind of a cross-reference to uh, what this passage is saying. If we do that here in Revelation 1.1, we go back to Daniel 2.28 and 29, and we see some language that is very, very similar to what John uses here in Revelation 1.1. So in verse 28 of Daniel 2, we see, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You know what the, they translated the Hebrew Bible from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek. You know what the Greek word is here? Apocalypto. So a God who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Well, that sounds very similar to Revelation of what must soon take place, Revelation 1.1. And in this passage, God is giving Daniel a revelation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, as well as what it means, its interpretation. And so Daniel begins to tell this to King Nebuchadnezzar, your dream and the visions that pass through your head or through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, you, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. So a lot of language, word similarities between Revelation 1.1 and Daniel 2.28 and 29. And it's probably intentional because there's language from Daniel all over the place in Revelation. So this is probably an intentional link here. And notice at the end of the book, if you look at another cross-reference, we see a cross-reference to later on in Revelation. This is really, really helpful for studying Revelation. Note what a verse says, look at the cross-reference, and especially pay attention to cross-references that are in Revelation. Because a lot of times, Revelation will help interpret itself if you look at another verse in Revelation that uses the same language. So Revelation 22, 6, this is at the end of the book. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. That's like word for word from verse 1. And that's wrapping up the book now. 
So that's a good author, right? Tell us what you're going to do. Tell us and then conclude, this is what I told you. So that's what he's doing. This is what God has done. He's shown this to his servant. And now we're talking about John. So God is through Jesus, through an angel to John, is going to show his servant the things that must soon take place. And this is John who now says in verse 2, who testifies to everything that he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. What does this refer to? The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting that John would say this. It's who testifies to everything he saw. Beasts and dragons and, you know, empires. And that's not what he says. He says he testified to what he saw, namely the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. If we compare that with some other verses in Revelation, I think we get a clearer picture of what this means. Verse 9, notice what John says. I'm John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. And I was on the island of Patmos because of what? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Why was John on Patmos? Because he believed God's word. He wanted to obey God's word. And he wanted to maintain faithfulness to who Jesus was and testifying to who Jesus was. Remember in Acts 1.8, probably the key verse of the whole book of Acts. Jesus said to his apostles before he ascended to heaven, you will receive power. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. You will receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You'll be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? to my crucifixion, my resurrection, the fact that I was dead, but now am alive and I am the son of God. They were to go out to the world and as a, as a witness, not only in the sense of seeing, but as a witness in the sense of telling, like a witness does in a court of law. You call a witness in a court of law, not only because they know something or have seen something, but also because they can testify to it, right? So, so also are these apostles. They are witnesses of Jesus' majesty, his resurrection, his glorification and Mount Transfiguration, but they're also testifying to it. They're testifying to what they have heard and seen. And because of that testimony for Jesus Christ and seeking to live for God and his commands, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Revelation 6, 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Why? Because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. If we compare that to other cross references, what testimony is that? The testimony of Jesus, right? So they had been slain. What does that mean? These are martyrs. These are martyrs. These are Christians who died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The Roman Empire and their local authorities imprisoned them, beat them, some of them killed because they believed in Jesus and would not be quiet about their faith in Jesus. Revelation 12, 17. 
Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who are the offspring of the woman? Well, there's one singular offspring, Jesus, but then he has lots of brothers, doesn't he? Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Who are the offspring of the woman then? Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So I think what John is essentially saying in Revelation 1-2 is, I am seeking to be a faithful witness to what God has said and what Jesus has revealed about himself. Now, for John, that includes some extra special revelation that you and I have not seen with our own eyes. John got to see the vision of Christ. John got to see these visions of heavenly glories. John got to see these things. But he is simply, in verse 2, saying, I am a faithful witness, a, a, a testimony to what has been revealed to me, the word of God and what Jesus has revealed. And so he is describing this uh, to them. And he's saying, this is who I am. I'm giving you a faithful witness. Now, verse 3 pronounces a blessing, a benediction on those who read and hear this book. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. We do not know, we cannot comprehend what an incredible blessing it is to have the access to the word of God that we have. I mean, I'm, I'm displaying it on a screen and with the flip of my finger, I can change to another verse. I can in probably two seconds go to any verse in the Bible on this device and that in multiple translations in my own language of the Bible. That is, it's a blessing that we cannot comprehend in, in terms of the history of the world. When John was writing this, maybe only 10 to 15% of the population could read. So they were very, they were not a literate culture. And then on top of that, not only did they not read as a regular practice or didn't have the ability to, but, the, but even the possession of written materials was very rare. I, you know, I, and if any of you have seen my office, I've got hundreds and hundreds of books on shelves in there. Somebody from John's time would have looked at that and said, what in the world is this? It had been like they had been, you know, fast forwarded into you know, three, four, five millennium into the future. I can't even comprehend this. Because to have a scroll, to have, at this time, we're not even sure that the idea of a book has even happened yet. You know what I mean by a book where you've got pages on top of pages, leave together and then bound? It wasn't even any such thing at this time. Most of what was happening at this time was either just a single sheet, like a letter or something like that, or it was rolled up like a scroll if it was longer. Probably not till the next century, that probably the 100s AD, do we get our first uh, 
hints from archaeology of actual books being bound together. People didn't have books. They couldn't read them. They didn't have them. And so this is a blessing on the person who was designated at Ephesus or at Smyrna or at Philadelphia to take that scroll that John wrote, unroll it, and read it to the people. So there's a blessing on him. But there's also a blessing on those who are out there who are hearing it, who do not have it in their hands, do not have it in their laps, cannot see it. All they can do is listen and hear it. And so blessed are those who hear it and not just hear it with their ears, but take it to heart, which in biblical language means not not hearers only, but doers. Hear and take to heart. That is do what is written in it. And here again, because the time is near. And again, I think that means literally some of these things that John is writing about are right around the corner. There is an urgency to what John is writing about. When he writes to the seven churches in chapters two and three, those are real churches with real people facing real struggles. And when he writes to them, he writes to them with a sense of urgency because of what is currently happening and what is about to happen. And so he is convinced that this is incredibly eternally important. We get to the end of the book of Revelation and we see a similar blessing. Look, I am coming soon, says Jesus. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. So, and we're going to see this throughout all of Revelation, but there is the idea of of receiving, of listening, of hearing, but then also of doing. Putting into practice. And those who do, those who put into practice, those who endure, those are the children of God. And so there is a blessing on them. The emphasis in verses one through three is on the witness from God through John, through his servants, the witness and the blessing that comes from paying attention to that witness. Greg Beale in his commentary puts it this way. The apocalypse, which is another way of saying revelation, was revealed for the purpose of witness, which results in blessing. The main emphasis here is the blessing obtained from reading the book and hearing it read. And so there's a benediction on those who listen and heed what is written in this book because it's important. It's the word of God, isn't it? So one thing that we have to keep in mind as we're reading and and trying to understand Revelation is, again, this is not about curiosity. This is not just about trying to understand all the visions and, and everything and all the strange symbolic language that's in Revelation. This is about receiving the very word of God and receiving it as the authoritative word that it is and seeking to live it out in our lives. So for that reason, we want to understand it, not just so that we can have a cool knowledge of Revelation, but so that we can do what Jesus is telling us to do in this book. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at these few verses tonight. Lord, may we receive the blessing that you have pronounced on those who hear and put into practice these words. Lord, give us insight and understanding as we move forward and seek to know and apply uh, what you have revealed to your servant, John. Bless these times together, I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.